Welcome to Real Life Radio, a podcast about reframing your life in order to be the best version of yourself. I am your host, Mikhail. Information that leads to motivation and inspiration. I am here to bring it to you. I just want to say I've been extremely grateful for all the support that I have received over my last episode. I, you guys, I mean, I've received emails, direct messages on social media with a lot of feedback. I really appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what subjects you want me to tackle. Follow and subscribe on Spotify. And let's keep this momentum going. I've got a great show for you today. My guest is Ruth King. Known as the Profitability Master, she is passionate about helping businesses get profitable and stay profitable. She's owned eight businesses herself. She started the Women's Entrepreneurial Center, founded the Decatur, Georgia branch of the Small Business Development Center, and was also the instructor for ICE, which is the Inner City Entrepreneur Program. One of her degrees is from Georgia State in Finance, just like me. She's pretty awesome. Not to mention, she's written several books, two of which are bestsellers. Ruth talks about the biggest reason businesses are not profitable. What are some of the best books for starting your entrepreneurial journey? Advice on publishing your own books and the importance of having a mentor and how to get one. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy this episode with Ruth King. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How is everything on your end? It's doing just fine. Busy. I've been traveling since June, so. Have you? Yeah. Okay. It's fun. Yeah. Getting on an airplane these days is fun. It's, they're clean. There's nobody in middle seats. Flight attendants are really nice because they really enjoy that you're there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can imagine. Where have you been traveling to? I have been in... Dallas, Fort Worth, um, Seattle, New Orleans, Portland, Maine. And I've driven because I've got clients in Huntsville and I've got clients in Savannah. So those are driving trips. They're not flying trips. Indianapolis. Try to remember where else. Can't remember. Uh, so are most of these uh, business trips or do you find yeah. time for leisure as well? <laughs> business. They're not leisure. <laughs> You've got clients all over the United States. Yeah, I actually have one in Vancouver, Canada, which I can't go see right now. Borders um, closed. Have you ever been there before? Oh, yeah. It's beautiful over there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Seattle's also beautiful. I know you're into photography. When you get to some of these beautiful cities, do you have an opportunity to snap some pictures? Yeah, with this, if I snap one. <laughs> <laughs> which reminds me, I need to turn this off. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. This is obviously a lot different than meeting up in my office when I'm wearing a shirt, tie, and a suit. More comfortable too, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And this really gives me an opportunity to ask you some questions that I feel like I didn't have an opportunity to ask uh, while I was working for the bank. You're obviously very involved. I mean, you own eight different businesses. You've been doing this for quite some time. Different organizations that you've founded and you help a lot of businesses across the country be profitable and stay profitable. So how did all this start for you? Actually, it started when I was a kid. You know, 
when I was a kid growing up, I had always wanted to have my own business. I mean, I was going to be a business owner one way, shape or form. It was not, I was not going to do anything else. And over the years, I found out that I'm unemployable anyway right now. <laughs> but I started when I was a kid and I started, you know, selling flowers that, you know, we grew in our garden and that's how it started more than anything else. Then when I went to school, went to chemistry school and had two summer jobs in chemical engineering and really liked them and got in the real world and really hated them. So I uh, went back to school, got my MBA and found the love of financials and numbers. And along the way, I had a friend who was working for Service America, which was the franchisor of heating and air conditioning companies back in the 80s. And I found a niche and for many, many, many years, never left it. Did some really cool work with contractors over the years. And I love that industry and started writing my books and writing, you know, from that perspective, which is what got me out of only doing HVAC and plumbing and electrical and stuff like that. And I still do a lot of it. Don't get me wrong. I still love the industry. I still have a client base across the country, which is really cool. Um, but we're starting to take the built, uh, building profit and wealth class and, and actually expand it outside of, of contracting so that, you know, all industries and all people can, can actually take that class now. So, you know, that's the next step. It's getting everybody, you know, can you imagine if the entire, every single business was profitable? Bank would never have a problem, would they? <laughs> Absolutely. And I know that you just released a, a book, Profit or Wealth. Is that correct? That's, that's absolutely correct. And it hit number one on Amazon the day it was released. So I can now say I have two number one books. There you go. Yay. Congratulations yeah. on that. Yeah. Has writing always been a passion of yours? Or did you, is that something that you had to learn along the way? No, nah, you know, I'm going back to my childhood again. But my seventh grade teacher taught us how to write. Now, I've gotten a whole lot better at writing over the years because it's practice. It's over and over and over again. I, I started writing a weekly column for the Decatur News, and I don't know whether you know that um, publication, but it's the, the legal organ for DeKalb County. And every Friday I had a, business, had a column in there called um, Business Sense, C-E-N-T-S, and I did that for 10 years. And so you get better and better and better and better at writing over that time period. And then I've had Contractor Sense since June of 1990. And I'm, the only times I've missed a week are when the technology back then crashed. You remember back then we had to sell, we had to send, you know, 249 at a time. We didn't have constant contact. We didn't have MailChimp. We didn't have any of those things back then. So it was literally somebody coming here that was either me or my assistant every Monday morning sending 249 at a time. Yeah, the technology's changed a bunch. It has dramatically, and I'm sure you've seen that in, in a lot of the businesses as well. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on technology as a whole? Is it one of those things where you need to stay in the forefront of it in order to maintain profitable and to, to stay in business? Or do you have to bootstrap and do everything yourself first before you can uh, take that plunge? Well, you know, the technology with respect to social media is I asked my daughter, she's 31 years old and she's used it. So if I need something, I'll say, Kate, you know, I need this, this, and this. But as a general rule, um, the world is not going to come to the baby boomers, which I am. We have to go to where the world is right now, which is the years of the millennials and the, what is it, Gen Z or whatever else it is. And they grew up with, you know, Kate had this from the time she was a brand, you know, little kid. Well, no, since she got her license, the kids now do it. So it's really a situation. They grew up with that. They grew up with social media. It's a very different way than we communicated. 
Um, you know, we had the good old telephone basically, and that was it. You know, so we have to get to the point where we're reaching our customers who are that database and who are that way that they look at the world, and we have to reach them where they are rather than try to force them to come to us, which will never happen. So that means more social media, that means more LinkedIn, that means more, you know, constant contact stuff, you know, more Instagram and what's the latest ones, TikTok. I mean, there's going to be more and more and more, you know, Facebook's been around forever. And so we're also looking at a situation where something else is going to come up. You know, Jeff Bezos basically says there's going to be somebody who puts us out of business. And he's said that over and over and over again about Amazon. And probably one day there will be. We just don't see it right now. And, or if it's there, it's just this little itty titty, you know, tiny blip and on the on the radar screen. So um, technology is important. Staying abreast of technology is important. If it attracts and your target audience pays attention to it, you got to be there. It's not an option. Sounds like what you're saying is being adaptable and flexible is is key to staying relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine if I still wanted to do everything like it was when I was growing up? I mean, we didn't have cell phones back then. I watched black and white television. Color was a big deal. You know, there were three TV stations. You know, now what do we have? How many? I don't know. But so, I mean, the whole world adapts all the time and we just got to stay up with it and not, you know, stick our heels in the ground and go, I'm not doing that. Well, right. your customers are there. You got to be there. What would you say is the, the biggest problem for a lot of businesses as far as staying profitable? Because I would imagine the, being able to adapt is, is up there. No, actually, the number one thing is to pay attention to your financial statements. You know that as well as I do. People just don't <laughs> look at them until they get into trouble and they call you on the phone and go, hey, I need a loan. Well, you're a little late, you know? <laughs> Why do you think it's such a challenge for a lot of businesses? None of us, including me, started our businesses because we wanted to run a P&L and balance sheet. You know, we started our business because we wanted to provide service, to provide products, to help people in the world, you know, whatever else it is. And the accounting side of business and the bookkeeping side of business and the financial side of business is, was always an afterthought because when two partners or three partners start a business, the likelihood is none of them have financial knowledge. And as a result, it's not paid attention to until something goes wrong. The really smart business owners, when they start, start and get a P&L and a balance sheet every single month. They may not understand what every word says every month, but they'll get used to it. They'll get into it. They'll start asking questions about it. They'll make sure their pricing is right. They'll be making sure that they collect their accounts receivable and things along those lines. You know, if, if you really want to look at it, Accounting was invented somewhere between 1200 and 1300 by the Venetian monks because they had to take care of the rich Italians money. They didn't have a calculator. They didn't have QuickBooks. So, you know, they had to do it addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. Now, okay, Mikhail, you might tell me that the Chinese had an abacus back then. Yes, they did, but they didn't talk to the Italians. There was no communication in different parts of the world. So the reality was they had to make it simple and the basic accounting formulas, um, P&Ls and balance sheets have not changed since that time period. They did a really good job. And so the, the reality is that, you know, people are just afraid of them because they, you know, have never looked at a balance sheet and understand what it means. So, you know, go take some education. Um, one of my very first clients was a florist and 
she called me because she had hired this bookkeeping firm that was doing her numbers. And every month she had a situation where they showed a profit every month and she was having cash flow problems. It didn't make sense. If I'm profitable, have, you know, florists are CRD for all intents and purposes. You know, they're not very little accounts receivable. And so it turns out, make a long story short, that whenever they didn't know what something was, they put it in miscellaneous revenue. Made her P&L look a whole lot better than it really should have. And I looked at her and I said, you don't know how to read these, do you? She goes, nope. I said, okay. She made her take a bookkeeping class in one of the adult education things. And she said it was the most miserable three months of her entire life. But what happened is now she knows enough to question. And she has another bookkeeping firm taking care of her books. And so, but she looks at her P&L and balance sheet and knows what they mean. She doesn't have to do the books every day. She doesn't do the books every day. So you can delegate the day-to-day bookkeeping, but you can't abdicate the responsibility for the financial side of your business. The, the books that I've written, I hadn't written The Courage to be Profitable at that point. Um, that book is basically P&Ls and balance sheets in English rather than accounting, you know, babble or anything like that. And then Profit or Wealth is the sequel to that because I found so many businesses just cared about profits. They didn't care about building wealth. And I've seen too many go out of business um, simply because they didn't pay attention to the wealth side of their business. Had one that had three, Murphy wants to come and bite you in the butt. They sure did to this company. They were really profitable. And I know that they were really profitable. They had three major customers in one week all file bankruptcy now murphy wants to come bite you in the butt that's really doing it and so they were left holding the bag for more than a million dollars in receivables and i couldn't they didn't have the wealth built up i.e the cash built up to be able to handle it so it took them out too it wasn't fun but they were very profitable so you can be very profitable and go out of business and if we want a more recent example um you know take take COVID. one of my clients had 80% of his business in restaurants. He services, serviced restaurants, did the maintenance for restaurants and you know, the fryers and the refrigeration units and the HVAC, you know, basically all the back end stuff in restaurants and COVID hit and everything got shut down and he goes, think a better pivot. And so he did and it saved him. Had he said, you know, oh my gosh, you know, oh, what was me? And, you know, put his covers over his head, he'd be out of business right now because 80% of his business was with restaurants. It's not anymore. In fact, I don't think restaurants are more than 5% of his business. So within what, March to now? So within six months, he totally pivoted. What's he focusing on now? He actually went into a lot of the things that um, were considered essential businesses. He got the list of what was considered essential businesses and he has almost all of them as clients now. You know, it's a really good way of doing something. He ended up with a lot of golf courses. He ended up with a lot of buildings, you know, like owner-occupied buildings, not the, you know, the really long, big, tall skyscrapers because most of them were shut down. Just a whole lot of different things. You know, nothing specifically comes to mind as a particular industry. And he also focused really hard on building a residential base rather than a commercial base to take care of homes and things like that, which he never had done. So, it, you know, he did it. And, and the reality is, had he not done it, he would not be in business right now. That seems to be the a common theme for businesses that are able to sustain themselves during this period is you have to be able to pivot, just like you said. Yeah. My colleagues who's in a mastermind group with me, 
had a restaurant, had the, has, still has the oldest restaurant in Florida, the oldest steakhouse in Florida. And before COVID, he had built up his database, I think to 40,000 customers on his database. And he used that database because the restaurant was closed, but they still could provide meals. They had a butcher shop where people still could go and, and get things delivered from the butcher shop. They had, you know, all of their party planning and stuff like that was all shut down. And then they had a barbecue, what do you call those things? Food trucks, which was still available and still be around. So they parked the food truck in their parking lot. But, you know, he said, had I not had the 40,000 people in my database, I'd be dead. Absolutely. The value of getting those emails or just being able to contact, have that direct uh, communication with the consumer, it's very critical for success. Absolutely. And, you know, if something doesn't work um, and you're not being able to contact your customers, then it's a situation where you got to figure out how to reach them and what can you do for them? How can you help them? Because in this day and age, you know, a lot of your customers might just need some help. Absolutely. Ruth, I want to get back to you because I'm just so impressed just with all the different things that you've been able to accomplish. And I have to know, how do you avoid getting burnt out? I run. I absolutely run. So running for me is is actually stress relief. This sounds incredibly crazy, but I come up with some of my best ideas when I'm running, when I pissed, excuse me for saying it that way, I'll go run on a treadmill for 45 minutes as fast as I can. And I promise you, I'm not upset when I get off that treadmill. It's just, it's not. Um, I also try to always take time for me in terms of, you know, even if I have the craziest stressed out day, I'll go home and I'll just, you know, kind of decompress for a little while. I've got a really good group of friends that I can talk to and I have a good mastermind and coaches that I can talk to if I need to. But, you know, it's just you you physically have to make time for yourself. You physically cannot be working 24 hours a day. You need some outlets. You know, running is an outlet for me. Photography is an outlet for me. Reading is an outlet for me. And I mean, not necessarily business books. I mean, just, you know, I love some, you know, psychological thriller, so to speak, from that perspective in terms of some of the genres that I that I actually read, mysteries I like reading. But I read the occasional junk book too. I mean, come on, let's be real. I read a lot of <laughs> business books too. I mean, I read tons of business books because, you know, I have a podcast as well. And I look at it to, for, for guests on my podcast. But, you know, I read it for, okay, this might work in our industry or this might work for so-and-so. So it's not that I don't read the business books, but I, if I'm needing to get away, I will physically not read a business book and I will go read something that's non-business to get my head unscrewed up. That's how you relieve your stress. But how do you stay productive? Because again, you've got so many different things going on. How do you manage all those things? I'm ruthlessly organized and I don't mean that as a pun but I'm very organized and I love what I do. And loving what you do means you're willing to put the time, effort and energy and the hours in to make sure it works. So, you know, if you're in business and you, I mean, you don't like business and you're not happy, um, either get happy or get out is, you know, and I've, I have canceled many of my clients that way. They're just miserable. They want out. Okay, it's time to go. Let's figure out how to sell this thing or do something else go find a hobby, go do something else. And, you know, if you're, you know, life's too short. And if you're not happy, find something that's going to, you know, you're going to be contented with and get happy with. If it's not the business you're in, get out. 
That makes absolute sense. And unfortunately, I mean, again, because of the times, there are a lot of businesses in that particular scenario feeling that, that type of stress. Well, you've got to figure out how you can generate revenue to take care of your customers. And the best way to do that is to ask them, what do they need? I mean, you know, worst comes to worst and you're on QuickBooks, you've got a list of everybody you've billed. Call them, email them, write them, you know, how can I help you right now? And you'd be surprised at what will come out of that. To me, I feel like it's not about me. It's about Mm -hmm. my audience and it's about the person that I'm interviewing. You just mentioned that you do the podcasting stuff as well. I mean, what's the right frame of mind to have when you're trying to provide value? Well, and I'm going to refer to a book. Bruce Turkel wrote a book called It's All About Them. And it's about your customers and dealing with your customers and everything else with that because it's not about you. It is about them. So that, you know, it's a really good book if somebody wants to read that book. Um, I give it to all of my clients and say, read this. It, it gets them off the me mindset and it gets them onto the customer mindset. So the reality of the situation is it's never about you. If you're in, if you're in business for the money, you're not going to make it. You've got to be in business for a reason to be able to help somebody do something. Now you can do it profitably and should do it profitably. But if all it is is the almighty dollar, you're probably not going to make it for a long term because you won't be happy after a while. And then if you don't, you know, if you as the owner are not happy, it kind of pervades into your culture and everybody will see that you're not happy and they'll start not being happy because they follow the leader and it kind of goes down. As somebody that's read a lot of books, what would you recommend as far as good sources of information for people that perhaps maybe started something and it's just a project, but they're wanting to make it into a business? I will start how I started with books. Um, one of the first books, you know, business books that I read was literally Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I know that's a classic and everything like that, but I read that when I was 21 years old on the beach during my honeymoon in Bermuda. All right. So that's the impact that that's had on me. And then from the personal development side, you know, read magazines like Success Magazine, because a lot of really good ideas come out of Success Magazine. All about them is important. Um, Dan and Chip Heath's books of understanding, you know, the, the marketing side and, and the telling story side and things along those lines. I think it's called Make It Stick or something along those lines are their books. And they just wrote another one that was re- that's been really, really good about how to get stickiness with your customer base. Those would be some that I recommend from a customer perspective. If you want the financial perspective, I'm just going to blow my own horn and and say, read the courage to be profitable and read profit or wealth. You'll get the financial side. Just do it. Reading the books takes less than two hours. Implementing it is another story altogether. Right. As you get good at it, it's less than 30 minutes a month. You you just, you know, it's kind of like exercise. You got to do it. This actually brings me to my next point. You, you have a book uh, about a rubber ducky. Yeah, right? I do. What's, what's the backstory about that? <laughs> oh, that's my fun way to make financials fun. All right. So Kate, my daughter, is um, she's a lighting and sound designer, works on movie theater and everything else like that. And they literally got shut down during COVID. I mean, there was no productions going on. Um, for almost, you know, a really long period of time there, she's back working now, but you know, she and I are having a conversation in her bedroom, um, one Saturday morning, she's doing a budget for a potential job and she's, she hates doing them. I mean, she's creative beyond creative, which is this part of the brain. And I'm the other part of the brain. And I said, 
you know, Kate, I really want to make financials fun. And her, her comment to me was, you can't. Well, Mikhail, you know that me well enough by now that if somebody tells me I can't do something, the first thing I'm going to want to do is try and get it done. So it was during COVID, and I literally did a series of five webinars where I, I created Ronan the rubber duck dives into financials. And the, the rubber duck came because I just saw the rubber duck in her bathroom, and she's had that little rubber duck in her bathroom. Hold on. This is it. I still have it in my office. <laughs> nice. And it's just, it got born. And so I, I went through and it's very short. It's very quick. It's, it's on Kindle. And I just read the audio for the audible version of it yesterday, along with one of Kate's friends, a male friend who actually played the voice of Ronan. And it was actually a lot of fun to do. And I've had people, you know, get the, get the Kindle and go, yep. It's much more fun now. It's not in the details of any of my books, Cartoon Profitable or Profit or Wealth, but it's a quick overview of what financials are really all about. And it's done in a very whimsical way. I mean, I wrote it as if I was reading it. I mean, I can't write a book that way. It has to be, you know, written and formal and stuff like that. This one was just fun to write. I didn't have an editor looking over my shoulder going, you can't say it that way. You know, you can't write it that way. So it's, it was that much fun to do. And one of the things that I always ask business owners to do, no matter what industry they're in, is to figure out what kind of recurring revenue their customer base would like. And so Ronan is a bathtub manufacturer, a bathtub repairer, and his recurring revenue is soaps and bubble bath. So... I was, you know, trying to figure out what they could do and soaps and bubble bath came to mind. So every month he sends out either soap or bubble bath or both to his customer base and it ties them to him. You know, you can do, you know, offshoots of the book of the month club. You can have the, you know, the jelly of the month club, the tea of the month club, the, you know, cake of the month club, the fruit of the month club. You know, you can do all those types of things. If you have a Netflix subscription, guess what? You're on recurring revenue or any, you know, anything that is done with software in the cloud where you're paying monthly for your software, you pay monthly for your cell phone bill. I mean, those are all recurring revenue. So figure out what you can do from your business perspective. And then um, that helps you build wealth because it ties your customer base to you. So that's Ronan. And as far as you writing these books, do you self-publish or do you have somebody that you hire for this? I've played in both worlds. My first three, my first books, The Ugly Truth About Small Business and The Ugly Truth About Managing People, were published by Source Books out of Chicago. Um, I had a three book deal with them, and during the writing of the third book, they decided that um, they were exiting the small business market. And my editor left, and I was pissed because I was in the middle of doing it. So I, I went to a hybrid, which was Morgan James, and I, I published The Courage to be Profitable at that point. And I really liked it. And then I wanted to try the self-publishing route, and I hated it. So um, I published The Ugly Truth About Cash as a self-publisher, and I didn't like it. And so now I'm back with them for this one, which is Profit or Wealth. I, you know, I like Morgan James a lot. They're entrepreneurial. So when you say they're very entrepreneurial, what does that mean? Well, for one thing, they don't take everybody's book. There are you know, things that they can get behind and actually help promote. I mean, um, they have a series of, of people who go out and go to the bookstores and things along those lines to help promote it. Um, I have a, public, a publicist that I 
hired through their recommendation, who is phenomenal, who's really, really good at helping me get, you know, some things done in, in places that I could never have gotten done. Um, they look at publishing as a partnership and they have classes for us and things that we can do and presentations that we can get all the ideas, you know, not all of them, but get ideas from to help promote the book. They look at it like I look at it, i.e. that, you know, writing a book is like having a baby. And since I'm female and I've had a baby, I can actually say this. Um, you know, the writing part is gestation. Publishing pub date is the birth. And then you got to care and nurture before it. You just can't stop. And so they make that very, very clear in terms of, you know, if you're going to do this, it's not, you know, write the book and then it gets published and it goes nowhere. Um, and I think that some of the large publishing houses, unless you're a David Baldacci or a, um, um, you know, I mentioned David because he's one of my favorite, art, you know, authors, or Stephen King, or John Grisham, or something like that, where the they have big names behind them. You know, they're well known. They'll put money behind you and and help promote it. Um, if you get with one of the big publishing houses and you and you don't have a huge name, your book's gonna kind of go into never, never, never land in a lot of cases like that. So you're better off with a smaller entrepreneurial publisher in those cases, especially for your first book. Now, I have seen like um, Brendan Bouchard's first book came out of Morgan James and he got so popular and everything along those lines that one of the big publishing houses in New York came to him and offered him a very nice advance. And he went back to Morgan James and they told him, go, do it. Mm. You know, it's it's something that they couldn't do or wouldn't do. I'm not sure which one of them. And, and he went off into the New York Times bestseller world. But he had paid his dues, too, through Morgan James and doing a lot of work and stuff like that. Sounds like a lot of this knowledge you gain just from experience. But when you first started, I mean, I would imagine you probably didn't know what you were doing. You just knew how to write, right? <laughs> Well, my very first mentors were Mark Victor Hansen and Robert Allen, all right, back in the 80s. And I was in their coaching group, and they had a thing about millionaires or whatever, but they were so into multiple streams of income, and they forced us into it. And one of multiple streams of income was writing a book. So they, they taught us the whole proposal process, because don't forget, Mark Victor Hansen, Mark Victor Hansen's book, The Chicken Soup for the Soul, got, you know, rejected by however many publishers it was, and they ended up having to buy 20,000 copies of it, and that's how it all started. And so they went through the whole proposal part of it. They took us to BEA, which is the Booksellers Expo, and we went and presented, and Sourcebooks was there, and I had done several of the chapters, and I had done the proposal right, and I had done it right, and they accepted it, and said, oh, by the way, we need the book in a month. So for about a month, I did nothing but interview and, uh, and write, but I got it done. You know, Kate was at camp, thankfully. <laughs> Otherwise, I never could have gotten it done. There would have been too much, you know, nothing against my daughter at all. But I mean, she, when she's home, she takes time. Or, you know, she was like seven or eight at that point. So, you know, she wasn't growing up. She couldn't take care of herself and that type of thing. So she was at camp. I got it done. And, you know, that's how I started. And I learned a lot. I mean, you always learn a lot. Go find the mentors who can help you. Um, and that's, you know, that's literally how I started in, into writing and getting books published. And, you know, they answered all of our questions and 
things along those lines. And they had, you know, they taught us a lot about PR. They taught us a lot about how to write book proposals, how to present, um, you know, from that type of thing. So, you know, find somebody who's done it and, you know, hire them is what I would do. So on that topic, how did you find your mentors? Do you have any suggestions, any tips for people that want that kind of guidance? Well, I actually have two. I have two coaches now. Um, you know, as good as I am at coaching, I, I still have coaches because as good as you are, you're never, you know, there's always got to be somebody better than you. And um, one of them is a coach more so for take me to the next level from a business perspective. The other is marketing. So I look at it in terms of what do I want? Where do I want to go? What do I need? And I go start talking to people. I start reading what they've written because, you know, and, you know as we talked about earlier, you know, everything's on social media right now. You can find, you do a Google search on somebody and you can find all their articles. You can find out what's going on from that perspective. And if you can't find them, something's wrong because they're not having anything that's public. There's a problem. So, you know, I, I've, read their books, you know, it, and, and I find out, okay, yeah, this person can help me or this group can help me. And sometimes you just call them on the phone and say, you know, I'm interested and raise your hand. That's what happened. You got to take the initiative, right? Can't be afraid of rejection. One of my colleagues, one of my good friends, actually, she, I can't remember who it was, but she was like, you know, hell, I'm just going to write these letters and ask for mentorship. And I cannot tell you who, but I can tell you he is very famous said okay come to where he was you know at this particular date in this particular time and let's have a discussion to see whether i can mentor you and she did and he's mentored her but she wasn't afraid to send a letter and, and follow up on it you know listen all they can do is say no right they might say yes right i think that's one of the key skills in being an entrepreneur you just you have to think big dream big and can't be afraid to go after it I Wonderful. did. Yeah, I, I did an interview with um, John Scully, who was Steve Jobs' number two for a while after, you know, and he said to me, he said, look, you know, never be afraid to ask the question. All I can do is say no. And, you know, he talks about the moonshots and had just written the book Moonshot and talked about people who have actually done it and they have a good group of mentors around them to be able to help them do it. So find somebody who's done what you want to do, preferably not in the same city that you're in or not competitive with you and go ask a question. You might be surprised. Great, great information as always, Ruth. So Profit or Wealth out now, paperback version was released, what, October 20th? So October 20th. The Kindle version was released July 7th and the Audible came up, I think, August something. So they're all out. If you don't like to read, you can listen. <laughs> Wonderful. And if anybody has any questions, what, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? The best thing to do is send me an email and it's rking, R-K-I-N-G, at ontheribbon, O-N-T-H-E-R-I-B-B-O-N.com or go to my website, which is ruthking.info and all my contact info is there too. Wonderful. Ruth, always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time and all the wonderful information that you've provided. Thanks, Mikhail. I appreciate it. There you have it, guys. Ruth King, the profitability master, ruthking.info. While you're there, take a look at the 37 books that you should read to run a successful startup. Definitely some good reads there, including Profit or Wealth and 
the courage to be profitable, just to name a few. Also, if you feel like it's a little overwhelming, definitely check out the Ronan the Rubber Duck Dives into Financials, a good place to get your feet wet. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, leave a review, let me know where I could bring more value to you, and I will catch you next time.